Welcome to the Storyteller series, Author Interviews, a Night Shift Radio original. I'm your host, Megs, and today I have the absolute pleasure of speaking to Storm Humbert, the author of March's print edition, Wet Blood and Garnet Stones. Storm was a silver honourable mention in the Rise of the Future contest in 2016 and a finalist in the same contest in 2018. And in the third quarter of the 2019 Writers of the Future contest, Storm won third place with his story, Stolen Sky. For more information on the Storyteller series, please visit nightshiftradio.com. This is Mike Wyatt Jr., the editor for Nightshift Media Group's The Storyteller Series podcast. Book two of the Anesian Convergence, Fallen Hunter, is out today. Set 300 years after the events of Last Bid for a Dying Earth, humanity now spans the galaxy. But as FTL jumps increase in number, a new danger presents itself. Breaches that lead to a destroyed world filled with demons. In response, one secret order of hunters has come forward. Wielding eldritch forces, hunters seal these breaches and banish the demons back to hell. But now, a breach unlike any other is torn open, and with it comes the murderous hordes. Only the hunter, D, can stop them, but she'll lose everything in the process. To stay up to date with all Anesian Convergence news, subscribe to my little-used newsletter at MikeWyantJR.com. You can also find all info on new releases at MikeWyantJR.com AC-release. The Anesian Convergence awaits. So, hi, Storb, how are we doing? Uh, thank you for speaking to me today. I hope you're doing well today. I'm doing well. Happy to be here. Good. Amazing. So, uh, we'll just jump straight into it and uh, we'll get to know a little bit about you. Um, I'll hand it over to you to tell us about yourself and a bit about your journey as a writer. Uh, okay, so I am Storm Humbert. I am from uh, Northwest Ohio in the United States. I, uh, I started writing um, in undergrad. Um, I went there thinking I was going to be an English teacher, and then I had a great creative writing instructor who changed my life, really, and made me want to be a writer. Um, I went to Temple to get my MFA, where I studied with Samuel R. Delaney, um, and that was transformative for my writing. And I've been publishing pretty regularly since 2015. Um, I've been in Andromeda Spaceways and Inner Zone and Apex, and uh, in 2019, I won the Writers of the Future contest, so I'm in Writers of the Future Volume 36 as well. Amazing. So what was it in particular that made you switch paths? Like what, what was the moment that happened between you being going and being a teacher and being a, a writer? I think it was uh, my undergrad mentor, Lee K. Abbott, just taking his class and the way he explained writing and the way he kind of made me fall in love with writing made me um, just want to do that. And I got my MFA because I want to I would love to teach it one day and do for anyone else what he did for me because he just kind of unlocked that creative avenue for me. Yeah, it's amazing when you meet amazing people that just kind of like, it's almost like they flick a light switch on and then you're like, ah, I see this. This is the bigger picture now. It makes so much more sense, but that's so lovely. And it's lovely that you, you know, you want to do for other people what, what they did for you. Like, I think that's, I think that's quite beautiful to be able to, know that that's something that you want to do instead of just being like I want to pursue this yeah. as a passion and things like that I want to I want to be able to share that with other yeah. people I think that arts in general are something that don't get enough encouragement when people are young people are taught to you know do math and science and be productive and you know contribute to society but they're not taught that art is a way you can contribute to society art is something that you can 
make that is purely unique, that you can um, engage with the broader culture, that you can um, build bridges across, you know, socioeconomic, um, racial, national, geopolitical lines, and just connect people uh, with art. And I think that's something that you have to learn as you get older, because it's not something that's taught to us when we're young, at least not in the United States generally. Yeah, it's the same. It's the same in the UK as well. They're never really, you know, the arts aren't exactly pushed, um, you know, and it's it's quite sad. It is really sad because so many people are, you know, mo- there's so many creative people out there who are in a job or in something that they've necessarily, you know, could could do other things. Um, but yeah, it's something that, like I said, I think is, I think is really lovely. My cat is stomping all over everything. Excuse me. Thank you. <laughs> Honestly. Oh, it's crazy. Um, yeah, and I, I, honestly, I think that's really beautiful. I think that's really lovely. Um, so we can move on to, specifically, um, if you guys, if listeners ha- aren't aware, um, Storm's most uh, recent piece with us was um, Wet Blood and Garnet Stones, which was our print edition for uh, this month, which is you know, it's amazing. Um, and I know that when, when it came in, everyone was very excited um, about about having you submit a piece. And it was really good. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. But what was the inspiration behind it? So I think there's actually a lot of inspirations behind it. I It was originally published in Andromeda Spaceways. So it's actually my first ever genre sale. This is the first thing I ever published that was in science fiction. Um, so that was um, very cool for me to have it reprinted in a a space that's more available because Andromeda Spaceways is just Australia and New Zealand. So to have my American friends and family be able to freely access this, it's it's basically new to them, which is cool for me. Um, But one of the big influences was uh, The Muses of Shuidan 18 by Injakami Das, which is in in Asimov's. I think it's in 2015. Um, the, The way that he handled the setting and just the the beauty of an alien world in there kind of moved me to describe how I describe um, um, the planet in um, wet blood and garnet stones. Um, And then also the, that's why also the Dacian sound, it's kind of named after him because um, that's where I I pulled that really strong kind of scenic element. Um, But the sound itself is inspired by my family's cabin in Canada, which is my favorite place in the world. Um, so in that way, um, it, the scene, the scenery in the alien world has some very, um, personal inspirations for me, um, my family's cabin and that, that one piece that I happen to be reading at that moment. Um, but the conflict I think is something I deal with a lot in my writing, a lot of like fathers and sons and legacy, um, that I think pops up in most of my writing. So I think the, that theme is um, doesn't surprise me that it's in there, but um, the the dedication for my grandpa is actually very interesting because the central kind of emotional struggle of the main character with um, losing his grandparent, I didn't realize till years after the story was published in Andromeda Spaceways that that was about losing my grandpa when I was fifteen, um, and so it was kind of it was that was also very cool about getting to reprint it and finally getting to dedicate it to him uh, because the the core emotional struggle was, was very personal for me. And I didn't, you know, you're taught as a writer to kind of write at this remove, this step back. And so I, I did that and I wrote at that remove. And so it took me 
a year or so after it was published to realize that that was a processing thing for me. Um, so yeah, I'd say those are the, the main inspirations for Wet Blood and Garnet Stones, um, which I, I probably, it, I wrote this thing over the course of a year at Temple. It was my uh, single graduate study I did with my advisor, Don Lee. So he, he probably read seven to 10 different versions of the story before I finally got it in its final form and submitted it. I think, I think the whole, you know, the whole thing about you realizing that it's about, you know, losing your grandfather is, is really beautiful. Um, and I think that's what's so important about, you know, just going back to the arts in general is that it's a good way to help people process a lot of things that maybe they don't even realize they're processing at the time. Um, so I am glad that, you know, we were able to republish it and you're able to get that, that dedication because it's something that is so personal as well you know you know a piece of writing to to kind of realize and come to terms with how much of you was actually put into it and how much it helped you process um process that event in your life so yeah and it was it was it was a beautiful beautiful piece um when reading it you could kind of we were we were desperate for like more we were you know we were like wow you know there's so much that we can actually like this world is just, you know, you, it's such a strong, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like you can get such a strong mental picture of what's going on and, and how things are. And yeah, it was, it was, it was such a beautiful read and it was so lovely. Thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, yeah. But like it, I said, when, when we, when, um, when we were uh, on the, the reading committee, when everyone was like, Oh, I'm so excited for this piece to have come in and, so excited about it and every everyone everyone was absolutely stoked i'm glad, I'm glad it lived up to the hype um it's also yeah. <laughs> cool to hear that you wanted more because it's, i think it's my longest published story it's almost nine thousand words mm-hmm. yeah i think i can definitely see you know obviously something in that world you know the the storytelling and the my brain has gone completely blank on what the word what other word than other like creating the mental picture is um yeah it was it was it was definitely we were all like yeah we could see this keeping on going and there being more in this universe and in this world that that yeah that the, the, you just you know so it was almost like we had that taste and we were like give us more give us more um so obviously you know you spoke about how it, this this went through uh multiple iterations and things like that um and then realizing obviously afterwards it was about the passing of your grandfather that you know it kind of helped you process it. Was there a moment thinking back that you were writing and you were really enjoying like a lot and you were like, you know, this is, I'm, I am enjoying what I'm doing right now. I am enjoying getting these words out. Yes. Um, and so it's probably a spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't read the story yet. So um, yeah, go read the story. And go read it if you haven't, <laughs> but it's um, when Ozek um, discovers the live to create inside of, his grandmother's tomb uh writing that and like getting to be in in his close interiority as he's realizing that like his grandmother who's his favorite person in the world has like brought back this miracle that he never got to experience really um that was a really cool scene for me to write most uh, partially because it was um just so energetic like it's such a big um kind of turning point in the story but also because i remember at the time it was how I moved through a part of the story that I was stuck in. Um, like 
how I brought that back and how it was discovered was a sticking point for me for about a week. And so finally moving through that was very cathartic for me. And so I think that dual catharsis, like on the writer level and on the character level, um, made it great to write. And yeah, then that's, that's, the end also with the decree, um, the, the, those were my two favorite scenes to write. Yeah, I think it's it's really lovely that you can instantly think of that moment as well. You know, sometimes when I've spoken to writers and authors, they, they've kind of gone, hmm, you know, but you go, no, yes, this is the exact moment. Because especially if it helped you move through, a, a, you know, a point that you were stuck at. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's always, it's always, it's always really lovely to hear what people have to say about that. Um, and I think that, you know, you see using the words like energetic and things like that, that help you. I guess it was exciting, you mm-hmm. know, at the time, which is, uh, which is really, really great. Was there anything in particular that when, you know, so when you were stuck, what was it that kind of helped you come to that moment that you were like, okay, this is what I maybe will help progress the story? I think partially in the beginning, it was like the need to return to the world and put, because like, like with the influence of the story, like the setting, like pulling from the muses and pulling from um, just the, the joy of creating an alien world from scratch. It was like, go back to the world, go back to the cool thing that is the feature of this piece. And that's the world. And so I wanted to, they talk about the decree and I was like, okay, so the decree has to, like, they have to get to see it. I can't talk about this thing that's dead and never make it alive again. Like this is a, a shotgun I've loaded. So I need to bring it back. And then it was just about how, about um, how it can be discovered. Um, and I, I think I was just caught up in having to make it this really like ornate kind of character driven discovery. And I was like, it can just be an accident. Like it can, this doesn't have to be a big on purpose deal. Like I just need to get the decree on the page and then I can do the really cool magic mossy stuff. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes total sense. That makes total sense. Especially when, when you're in a world that you've created, you know, I can imagine that it's very easy to get lost in certain elements of writing. Is there you know, is there anything that, you, you know, to authors and writers out there that are writing in their completely own, like, alien world or, you know, like, mythical world or something that you could, like, give advice as to how, you know, how to not get kind of caught up in everything? Or sometimes you do want to get caught up in everything, but how to really, like, hone that in? I think... The answer is, it depends on what form you're working in. So even though uh, Wet Blood and Garden of Souls is technically a novelette, because it's like it's almost 9,000 words, um, you still treat that as a piece of short fiction. So you have to understand your limitations, you have to understand the page constraints you're working with, and your reader's expectations. Um, so you have to really make sure that anything you are giving them, like you can't, you can't go Tolkien on them in a short story. You can't tell them, you know all the various trees that laid seeds on the ground to produce this twig that our character just tripped over. Like you can't, you have to give them only the coolest bits of your world and you have to do that organically. You have to give your main characters, your point of view references, um, um, believable ways to give them the coolest bits, but you want to only give them the coolest bits in a short story. Um, when you're writing, when you're writing a novel, I would just encourage you to actually get lost, especially if you're doing your first draft, like let yourself wander through your world and discover things that you have to know, because, you know, we're not, we don't, 
we don't come knowing how to create worlds. Like we, we don't think of all the minute little things that we take for granted in our world that are very important to knowing in a fantasy world or a science fiction world. Like, um, so let yourself wander through, let yourself have to answer questions about your world. Um, you'll do that for your short story too. It's just, you'll have to cut a lot more of it. Um, it won't, and it won't make the page. Um, but yeah, if you're writing a longer piece, if you're writing a novel, let yourself get lost in the world. Wander around for days and just write what you see and what your character sees, write what they've done before, because um, you, you need that deep history, um, because especially novel series are about creating echoes with the history of the world that your story takes place in. Yeah, I think that, you know, you, you're right, you know, you're getting lost in the world is, especially when writing a novel and writing, you know, longer pieces, it's. The best thing to do and I, I love the analogy that you made about you know the the, the seeds and the twig and that was you know because yeah. that, that's kind of you know that's that's what you get and it's you know in talking about how how like we don't come you know being able to make these worlds up and really know just know you know it's mm-hmm. yeah it's it's interesting you know writing um writing for worlds that just you know don't exist outside of you know the piece that you're working in I suppose you've got the beauty of you can do what you want but also oh my god I can do what I want <laughs> how do I how do I figure that out like where do I where do you go with that because once you make decisions in your world you have to be honest about the repercussions of those decisions once you decide that people can fly you have to be honest about what that means for freedom or policing or economies or like all the every decision you make in your world has implications, and once you make a decision, you have to honestly convey all of the implications of that um, in your story. If you if you lie about what that could possibly mean, your reader's going to find a hole because you've put one there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I don't know. My my brain is like spinning just trying to think about how you would actually like how you actually sat down and created this world my brain is just like oh my gosh I struggle to think about what's the other side of the hill that I've never seen before like you know how do how how is the the you know it's it's mind-blowing mm-hmm. to me that people like yourself are able to just do that and obviously it, it's, it comes with a lot of hard work and a lot of thinking and like you said thinking about the repercussions and thinking about how this is going to play out and stuff like that but my, yeah my, it's, it's it's mind-blowing my uh my mentor in my graduate program Samuel Ardelaney he goes by Chip so I'm just gonna say Chip um mm-hmm. I was watching him he did, was doing a talk at ReaderCon and he was talking about people discussing science fiction writers predicting the future and he's like well it's just kind of you know science fiction takes place in the future and if enough people throw enough darts at the board long enough people are going to get some things right but he said the trick and that's why I, the, I pulled the honesty thing tonight is that the trick is once you put something in your future world you have to really think about what it means for society and he talked about his example was the traffic light it's not impressive to predict the traffic light it's not impressive to predict car accidents what's impressive what's what makes your world feel real is when you predict the traffic jam like when you move those three or four steps further from the novelty of the thing you're inventing that defines your future space to how it forms the reality of the future space and how it changes it and makes it you different from the reality you know now. Yeah, it's it makes so much it makes so much sense, and it's never something that I personally would have thought about when it came to writing. And I'm, I'm hoping that people that are listening are 
you know, also going, oh, my goodness, I never thought about that. Or if they are writers themselves, you know, they're looking at things in different ways and enjoying, enjoying just hearing yeah, the process. And because you know, it, it is so much more than you think in mm. in the long term, you know, oh, well, I, you know, I've, I've got this world. This is cool. But then you kind of like you've got to really pick it apart and really analyze how things are going to go, how things are going to work. And again, I'm just going to keep using the word mind blowing over and over again because my, my, my mind is blown. My mind is blown. Yeah, I. <laughs> um so we can move on to talk about um what hobbies do you have outside of writing because I know that it's very easy as a creative person to be stuck just mm-hmm. in your creative work whether it's whatever it is um but do you have any hobbies outside of writing you know it can be another creative outlet it can be anything or you're just like hey my brain is all writing all the time you know um I do have quite a few hobbies um i mean reading obviously but that's kind of part of writing you can't write if you're not reading um especially you want to read things that are being published now Um, you want to read the greats too but you also want to read the things that are being published now um but my non-reading or writing hobbies are um i'm very active i work out five days a week um and i would love to play sports i used to be in a basketball league locally Mm -hmm. um but you know, with the apocalypse that has gone on hiatus because yep. <laughs> um, a bunch of people breathing heavily in a room for an hour. Is yeah, not it's not, the current not what people want right now, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not really good for your health anymore. Um, but so yeah, I would love to play basketball again whenever that's safe. Um, but working out and I love playing board games and video games. Um, mm-hmm. um, I love card games. I played the Game of Thrones card game for a very long time, but that's a dead oh, game yeah. now. Um, but yeah, um, board, I have a giant can't like 60 pound canvas bag of board games that I, oh, wow. will, um, transport to play games, people's houses for game days. Like, uh, um, Micah, Scotty Cole, who's a writer of the feature winner for 35. She lives 10 minutes from me and we had a game day, um, last Saturday. And so mm-hmm. I just lugged this giant bag of games over to her house. Um, I think, yeah, I love that. I love that because board games are just such an interesting way to connect with other people. Um, and even if it's just casually or like, if yeah. you know, you really get into a game, I think, I think it's great. I think it's a really, it's a really great way to connect and yeah, completely, completely understand, you know, the whole working out thing. I wish I was more active. Well, I am now with my dog doesn't, you know, I can't not yeah. be an active person with a puppy, but um, my, you know, I, I know that it's, you know, COVID has affected a lot of people when it comes to playing their sports and you know being involved in a team because that's such a huge part of being human is being part of a team and speaking to people outside of your you know immediate immediate group is is really crucial to being a human being if you had to pick a favorite game it can be board game card game video game what would it be hmm. so i think my favorite game that I have just because it's so easy to get any group of people, regardless of their familiarity with board games or card games and do it and understand it is smash up. I don't know if you've ever okay. played it. I don't it's, tell me about it. It's uh, it's a game made by UAB um, mm-hmm. and it is a game, a drafting card game where there's all these factions like aliens, ninjas, uh, spider verse. Like they have all this different stuff. There's like 50 factions. And you draft two of them, you shuffle the ducks together, and you try to win the game by capturing bases. 
and different factions have different identities, but no matter what two you pick, you'll get you'll find some fun little synergies between them. It's a really well-designed game, and it plays pretty fast, 30 to 40 minutes for one game if you have four people. Um, and it's it has infinite replay value because since there's 50 to 60 factions, maybe more than that, and you're always combining two, the permutations are just, there's a massive number of combinations you can play. So every game, doesn't matter what, is is completely different. And I imagine, you know, playing with different people as well makes it makes it completely different, completely different conversations, completely different, you know, atmosphere. So yeah. no, it sounds like a good one. I'll have to check it out. Um, my other house family is quite into board games and sitting down, so I'll definitely have to check it out. So we'll swing it back to writing real quick mm-hmm. because I completely skipped the question. Um, <laughs> don't mind me. No uh, so, you know, obviously you've had a lot of... Um, you know, you've spoken a lot about your mentors and things like that, but was there a piece of advice that was given to you by anybody that you wish you had learned or had been given sooner that maybe you can share? So I think, um, I mean, granted, it's still, it was still relatively early in my writing career, but I think it would have changed my writing earlier. Uh, when I was working on Wet Blood and Garnet Stones with Don mm-hmm. Lee, he told me one day, because I kept giving him brand new drafts every week. I'd redraft a 7,000 word story every week and give him an entirely new draft. And he's like, stop doing this. Um, you need to keep some yeah. of it, cling to something, keep the pieces of the work. Um, but he's also talked about how um, I would get lost in my language a lot because I'm a, I'm a, I was brought up as a literary writer. I was trained writing genre, like literary fiction in undergrad. Um, and I, I, you know, I wrote genre fiction when I could, but you're still taught to really work on the sentence level when you're writing literary fiction. Like the sentence is the building block of the story. So, um, but he's like, you know, all of your prose throughout, like you're just, you know, have soaring language and it never, you never let up. You never let your reader like rest. And he's like, you need to save your best writing for the best moments. So it's not to say that your other writing can't be good, but you need to signal to your reader when something really important or really epic or really amazing is happening by making that language soar and rise and impress with the moment. Like language needs to match the moment. The rest of the story can be, you know, um, well-written and concise and clear and effective and beautiful even, but you still need to give yourself room to rise for your language to rise to the level of the moment you're depicting in the story and i think that really helped me with wet blood and garnet stones because it helped me with the moments where i'm really featuring the landscape and the alien world to just kind of freeze time almost and build this kind of language bubble around the moment where you're just appreciating the entire landscape and the um I remember when I first came up with the Posic um, blossoms, the bioluminescent flowers that only glow at night. And the first time I introduced them, it was like a page. Wow. And Don's like, you, yeah. don't do that. He's, he's like, we don't need to know how they work. Posic knows how they work. He just needs to mm-hmm. appreciate them so the mm-hmm. reader can appreciate them. Yeah. Um, because I, I knew like, you know, when you create something like that, you have to know the the biology and the, the function and how it works and what it means to the culture and all that stuff. But like, the reader doesn't need this. This is just a cool glowing flower that's going to be in the side. It's cool that you know this, but they don't need that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, saving your best writing, like your, your highest energy, most compelling, most gripping prose 
for the highest energy, most compelling, most gripping moments and not wasting it describing a car or a flower <laughs> or whatever Tolkien likes to do. Yeah. Well, at least if someone is like, hey, Storm, how does this flower work? You can be like, here you go. I know how this <laughs> yes, flower works. I do. Well, I have exactly. more paragraphs. Yeah, exactly. It'll be fine. It'll be all, it'll be all great. It'll be all yeah. great. Well, you know, it does. It goes back to what you were saying about um, writing in a in a in a new world that you're creating and things like that. You don't need to. It's great, like you know, like they said, it's great that you know how that works, but the reader doesn't need to know how that works. Not you know, not not in a short fiction piece 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 anyway. Um, yeah, and if it was, you know, a multi book novel mm-hmm. like series then cool do a whole book on how the flower works yeah. crack on <laughs> but and even then only if it mattered to the story mm-hmm. or the character like you might need to know this to build the world and the flora and fauna and understand how it fits into this landscape food chain whatever but the reader will likely never need to know that mm-hmm. yeah it makes yeah it makes so much sense to it's a great piece of advice as well is about the, going back to saving your best piece of writing for when it's kind of needed and you need to really let the, like let the reader know that, you know, this is what's going on. And yeah, I'm just, I'm just like taking everything in. Like, I feel like since doing these author interviews, I'm just like absorbing, I'm not a writer at all, but I'm just absorbing all of this information. And I'm just like, yes, I understand how writing works a lot more now. And it's, it's great. Yeah, I mean, it is great. It's, it's something that was kind of interesting for me to hear from him, because when you think of literary fiction, you think of David Foster Wallace and the growing sentences thing. and like mm-hmm. how every sentence is this little masterpiece. And it's like, well, maybe, yeah, on some level, but you still need to let your prose you need to raise the ceiling at some moments let your prose soar higher with the story um and that was something that had never occurred to me until that moment there you go now everyone else will also be able to take that in absorb it hopefully you know it'll be it'll be it'll be brilliant so we will start wrapping up here where can listeners find more from you read more from you you know, just get to know you as a person, maybe. Um, just tell us about your work, you know, anything that you've got coming up that, you know, you might be putting out there publishing soon or writing. Uh, plug your socials, you know. Okay. Put it all um, out there. So I have my website, which is www.stormhumbertwrites.com. Um, sometime today or tomorrow, I'll be updating it to include the link to the Storytellers series reprint of the story. Mm-hmm. So that, that link will be available on there shortly. Um, but it currently has links to, um, let's see, they, there's a litfic flash on there called The Viewing that's free to read. And then uh, my story in Apex called Master Brahms, which is a clone murder mystery, is also free to read on Apex. Um, the other ones, so uh, Virum, which is an inner zone, is not currently free to read. You'd have to buy the edition of Inner Zone. And then my story in The Writers of the Futures, volume 36, is also not free to read. You'd have to buy it. Writers of the Future, Volume 36. And I, beyond my own writing, there's great stories in both of those. So if you wanted to buy them, you're, you're not going to be disappointed. Um, let's see. Um, I, oh, I'm currently shopping my first novel. I finished it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took me about two years after Writers of the Future, um, mostly because I didn't outline it. I, I pantsed a 178,000-word mm-hmm. novel, which is not what I recommend. No big deal, you know. 
<laughs> don't do that. Learn to outline first. It will save you a lot of time and headaches. Um, it was actually 278,000, and my readers told me to cut five of the characters out, so I did, and now it's mm -hmm. 178,000. Um, but I'm currently Still, shopping that. No big deal. No big yeah. deal. You know. <laughs> uh, yeah, learn to outline before you do a novel. That's what I'm outlining my next one for mm -hmm. sure. Um, and I let's see. So I'm looking around for my first novel um, for someone to publish that. And I have some stories that are currently being considered at various places, um, both reprints and originals um, that I'm fingers crossed. So, some of them are on like final cuts on the editor's desk. So I'm hoping mm -hmm. they will take them. Um, mm -hmm. So fingers crossed, I have new things to announce on my page soon. Um, but other than that, I mean, you can find me on Facebook. Just I'm the only Storm Humbert. It's very easy to find me. And uh, I'm on Twitter also, at Storm Humbert. Again, the only one on there. Very easy to find. At least you've got a very unique name that, yes. you know, no one, no, you you know, you're not like Jessica Jones that's like, oh, okay. <laughs> but at least no one will get lost trying to find your work, which is, which I guess is a big plus. Yes, it does help. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today, Storm. It has honestly been a pleasure. It's been so lovely to learn about your writing process and talking about you know, creating these fantasy worlds and, you know, especially learning about how Wet Blood and Garnet Stones helped you process and, you know, without even realizing process, you know, you know, losing your grandfather, which I think is, it's so wonderful that you were able to look back and go, oh, that's what that was. That was cool. Um, but yeah, so thank you so much. It's been, it's been lovely. Thank you for having me. This was fantastic.